Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. So if you have your Bible, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter number three, the book of Matthew chapter number three, and I'm going to read just a couple of verses to you, and I'm going to preach a message this morning. I don't know if it's going to be a series or a message, but I'm going to preach a message to you this morning called Breaking the Cycle. Everybody say Breaking the Cycle. You got to say it with some Pentecostalism. I don't know what that was. You got to say Breaking the Cycle. That's more like it. That's more like it. Breaking the cycle. You know, I was uh, in Hamilton, and uh, I've got some family and friends down there, and we were talking um, over the weekend about just about church, about the kingdom of God. And I'm I'm kind of, I'm kind of, uh, and I want to say this, uh, I want to say this tactfully, but I'm a little concerned about the direction and state of the church in America, uh, specifically the church in America. You have uh, a church planning uh, boom that's happening right now. I mean, there are churches getting planted like you would not believe just every week, churches springing up all over just all the time. And I've been to some of the top leading church growth, church planning, uh, training that you could go to. Um, I've talked to some of the greatest minds in church planning that you could talk to. And my concern is this. I see us trying to win the world to our brand of church instead of winning the world to Jesus. I see us promoting heavily our church and our brand, and this is how we do things, and we even hand out t-shirts that say, I love my church, and I want you to love your church. I don't have a problem with that. I think that's great, but we're not trying to win people to us. We're not trying, I need somebody to help me. We're not trying to introduce people to us. We're not trying to introduce people to Hope Unlimited. There is not a church in America that has enough money or enough creativity to compete with the world. We're not trying to win them to our brand of Christianity. We're trying to win them to Jesus Christ. And I think we need to start talking about Jesus more than we talk about ourselves. You know what I'm saying? I think we need to start telling the world that instead of the church has the answer to all your problems, Jesus has the answer to all your problems, and the church is just here to introduce you to the one that has the answer to all of your problems. Neither you nor I are serving God today because we got introduced to a church that we like. We are serving God today because we got introduced to a God that we liked. Let's be honest, most of us in here are still serving God despite the church that we grew up in. (laughs) Am I right about it? So most of us in here, we're still serving God, not because we went to such a dynamic church, but because we met a dynamic God. We tolerated church, but we met an incredible God that forever won our hearts. And we're trying to make the church the thing that wins people's hearts instead of the presence and the power of God being the thing that wins people's hearts. And I say, I want this to be a church, not where we go around parading, I love my church, I love my church, I love my church. Although I hope you love your church. I want to be a church where we go around parading, I love my God, I love my God, I love my God. Is there anybody in here with me this morning? It is the 
presence and the power and the glory of God. That's the very reason you're still here and the very reason I'm still here. I don't mean in Knoxville or in Hope Unlimited. I mean inside the kingdom. It's because we got arrested by the glory of God. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Y'all got to help me. My voice is out acting up and all that. You got to help me. Help a brother out. All right. Matthew's gospel, I, I had to get that off my chest. It has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going to preach about. Matthew's gospel, chapter number three. <coughs> I start reading with verse number four. This is a, a great uh, edifying um encouraging sermon by that life coach known as John the Baptist. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins. Thought about preaching in that today. That's a joke. And his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem. Whoever's running the sound back there, Connor, can you turn me up a little bit? And they went out to him to Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around about Jordan. They were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said, you generation of vipers. Told you he was a good life coach, right? You generation of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Verse 8 is what I want to pay attention to. Bring forth, therefore, fruit that proves your repentance. Bring forth fruit that proves your repentance. Don't bring forth tears as proof of repentance. Don't bring forth your Christian lingo as proof of repentance. Bring forth fruit that proves repentance. And do not think to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say to you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now the ax is laid to the root. I told you, he just keeps getting more and more encouraging. Sometimes when I read John the Baptist, I think he's Joel Osteen. I can't figure out who's who. <coughs> I say that facetiously. I love Joel Osteen. I say that facetiously. And now also the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which brings not forth good fruit is cut down. And cast into the fire, I indeed baptize you with water to repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. Amen. I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just designed to get me and you to heaven. Okay, even though a lot of times that's how we understand and interpret what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that it was simply fire insurance for the afterlife. I do not believe that Jesus' sole accomplishment on the cross was to make sure me and you did not die and go to hell and burn for all eternity. Thankfully that we don't have to do that, right? I mean, that's not a bad deal, but <coughs> the gospel of Jesus Christ has also been sent into our life, not just to prepare us for the next life, but to empower us for this one. We completely miss the power of the gospel when we solely make it about what happens then and completely neglect its power for what's happening right now. 
You hearing what I'm saying? That's what the Bible means when it talks about the blessing of the Lord makes rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. The best definition of blessing I ever heard was this. God's beneficial endowment of power sent to produce well-being in every aspect of your life. The reason this is important to me is because I grew up in a church culture where the only thing Jesus cared about was where you ended up after you died. And the rest of life was supposed, that, that, that was even evident in the songs that we sang, right? Because all of our songs are about heaven. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, I'll See, we also sang one called, I'm going to take a trip. On the good old gospel ship. I don't even know what a gospel ship even is. But we were going to go on one. And the people that I grew up on, they would be, they'd be weeping. Now, they didn't get too out of control. They just raised their right hand because we were Baptists. But they would weep. Oh, man, they would weep talking about that good old gospel ship and fly away. They're going to fly away. Oh, glory. Now, I'm thinking, I was eight years old thinking, what, are we going to sprout wings and go to heaven? Is that how we're getting there? And then they taught me about the rapture and everybody's going to be shot out of their clothes, flying around naked in the sky. <coughs> which caused all sorts of other questions and issues as a young man. But all of our songs are about heaven. We had, no, we had no solutions to give you here on earth. It was, I don't know, just hang on, but if you quit, you're going straight to hell. Right? So you better grin and bear it, and you better smile on the way through because God hates a bad attitude. Right? And you just pray every day for that gospel ship to show up. As 30 years ago, it still ain't showed up. Because we completely, when we make the gospel about that life, we completely miss the power of the gospel in this life. You are not supposed to go through this life depressed, defeated, discouraged, in emotional turmoil, and mental torment. The gospel has answers for now, and it has answers for later. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's why Jesus said nobody has laid down a father, mother, land, property that does not receive in this life a hundredfold and in the life to come eternal life. You hearing what I'm saying? Isn't it good to know that we serve a God that all of his blessing and all of his favor and all of his goodness is not just reserved for us for when we die, but it can be experienced right now. The kingdom of God is not for when we die. The kingdom of God is for right now. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I grew up that if you got sick in your body, waiting on the gospel ship. My kids got leukemia. They're going to take that trip on that gospel ship. But don't you quit. You know what? This, this, is, this was the, the elementary level of our processing. You, you're sick in your body. Hey, but bless God, don't miss church. Because God hates it when you miss church. The way we grew up preaching, they say things like, if you stay home on Sunday night to watch a football game, by God, you better hope Jesus don't come back while that football game's playing. I lied to my parents one time, told them I was sick because I wanted to watch the Dallas Cowboys play in the Super Bowl. I prayed to God at every commercial break, Jesus, please, if you can wait till after the fourth quarter, I'll repent and I'll never do this again. I swear to you. Come on. <coughs> huh? People broke, people were, people were struggling financially. I didn't grow up in a big city. I grew up in the backwoods of nowhere where the median income was like $8 a year. And we, we had no answers for you. 
other than you're going to fly away, though. It's going to be worth it in the end. It's going to be worth it in the end, bless God. All them jewels in your crown. I don't need jewels in my crown then. I got to pay the power bill now. Does Jesus have any answers for me right now? You hearing what I'm saying? That's what we do as Christians. John even talked to us about that. He said, don't look at your neighbor that is dying of hunger and starvation. Don't look at him and say, I'm praying for you. I am so tired of the church being to the level where the only thing we have to offer is prayer. I think we should pray. And sometimes we should pray and write a check. Sometimes we should pray and pay for somebody's food. Sometimes we should pray and sew our fourth car into somebody that don't have one to get to work. The gospel has answers for now. The gospel has answers for now. The gospel has answers for now. So, when I was at home, I was talking to this young man, and uh, you don't know him, so don't even try to run through your mind who it is. Because whenever I use examples, people even come up to me and say, Who is you talking about? (laughs) I was talking to this young man, and uh, he's early 20s, and he was looking at getting married. Him and this girl had been dating for, for several years, and it had been to, to say that the relationship had been turbulent uh, would be uh, generous. Um, and he was telling me about the most recent event because they broke up. They were about to, he thought they were about to get engaged, and then they broke up. I'm going somewhere. And we were talking about the situation. I was like, man, what's going on? What, what happened? And uh, it was the same thing that had always happened, right? They, they got in a fight. Um, when they got in a fight, she couldn't, she couldn't even right now with, with whatever, right? Just, I can't even deal right now. So she called her mom and then the mom called the boy and then the mom and the boy ended up working out the fight because the daughter couldn't even deal right now. And he came to me saying, he, he was totally innocent. He said, something about this just doesn't seem right. And I was like, really? Um, and so this had been, this had been, the, 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 this had happened over and over and over and over again. And finally they broke up. And he said, you know, I'm getting to the place. It's been years. He said, I'm getting to the place where I'm, I'm wanting to know what's wrong. I said, you want me to tell you what's wrong? He said, yeah, what's wrong? I said, this is what's wrong. Everything <laughs> is wrong. Because in our life, a lot of times we think we have problems. We don't have problems. We have patterns. And it's our pattern of behavior that's creating all of our problems. But when we don't have the ability to notice our patterns, we step back and we are, we are, we are, uh, let me, let me say the, let me think of the nice way to say it. I can't, I, my mind's not working. Uh, we are foolish enough to believe that each problem we have is an isolated incident. And we're never able to, to connect the dots that this is what this situation's looked like my whole life. For example, oh, we, could, we could get real. For example, if you get that credit card paid off, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, by the time Christmas rolls around, by the time Christmas rolls around, we're going to be fighting with American Express again. We're going to be walking around talking about, I'm believing God to get me out of debt. He already got us out of debt once, but I'm believing God. It's not that you have a money problem. It's that we have money patterns. 
And our patterns are creating our problems. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What patterns do you have? What cycles do you have in your life that are not working for you? You ever heard somebody say this? Somebody said this to me the other day and I was offended. They said, you're getting older. You're getting set in your ways. I thought the devil. I am the most objective and open-minded human being I know. No matter what the situation is, I'm always able to see both sides with equal weight and credibility. Aren't you? Of course. They said you're getting set in your ways. You know what that means? You've got some patterns that ain't never going to change. Your life is not you going from problem to problem. Your life is the cyclical effect of your patterns. I have seen people. I've I've got friends of mine that have been engaged six times. Can't figure out what's going on. There was a problem with this one and a problem with that one. And then she was crazy and she didn't have a job. And she, and she I could say, never mind. I, I, I got to edit this stuff. I, I, I got to remember who I'm talking to because um, they might be watching. They might be listening to this on podcast. Um, can never figure out what's going on. It's a pattern. Your patterns are creating your problems. When God talks to us about repentance, repentance is is laced with this religious connotation of coming down to an altar and praying. And we, that's our only definition, especially as Pentecostal Christians of repentance, is that when you repent, you went to an altar and you prayed. When I'm talking about repentance this morning, I'm not talking about coming down and praying and wiping the snot off of your face. I'm talking about interrupting the pattern and making a new decision. Sometimes repentance doesn't happen on Sunday morning. Sometimes repentance happens on Monday. Sometimes repentance happens the next time you and your wife get in a fight and you say, I know what this cycle's gonna look like. I'm gonna say A, she's gonna say B, I'm gonna say C, she's gonna say D, and then we're not gonna talk for the next three days. Ooh. Got a little quiet up in the house of God this morning. What is that? That is a pattern. Repentance is not, I'm going to come down and tell God I'm sorry for all of the stuff. Repentance is, I'm going to make a new decision and I'm going to interrupt this pattern from giving me all of the dysfunction that it's been giving me. Because so often, especially in Pentecostal Christianity, we want God to deliver us from what he wants us to grow out of. Let me say it again for the people in the back. We want God to deliver us out of what he wants us to grow out of. God's not going to deliver you out of your contentious home. Right? Because this is what this generation tells each other. God just wants me to be happy. You will be happy once you interrupt the dysfunctional pattern that's continually giving you your conflict. I had somebody Instagram me last night. I don't know who this person is. God bless their hearts. I don't know who they are. But they asked me, they said, uh, I'm a newlywed, and me and my husband argue a lot. What do I do? What do I do? 
Will you tell that little scalawag? What do I do? I said, you got to interrupt the pattern, right? Because let's be honest, when you're in the heat of a good argument and you feel what Jesse Duplantis calls that Tabasco sauce going up and down your body, and you're like, oh, no. Oh, it's on now. It's on. Why don't you stop right there? Why don't you be the, but they said, I don't care what they say. I'm having to do this with my daughters all the time. Annalise, did you hit Katie? First word out of her mouth. But Katie, stop right there and let's interrupt the cycle. Your patterns are giving you everything you're getting out of life. And before you get older and set in your ways, you need to make sure those patterns are giving you what you want. There are some people that no matter what the cycle gives them, they will keep perpetuating the cycle. I went to church one time with a dear, precious woman of God, sweet as could be. She's going to be with the Lord now, sweet as could be. She had lung cancer from smoking for decades, decades. She had to carry an oxygen tank around with her, with the thing in her nose. She'd wheel it around with her. And then after every worship song, she would go out and smoke. First of all, thank God we didn't blow up because the oxygen caught on fire, right? No matter how much pain the cycle has given you, we would rather stick to our comfort than repent of our dysfunction. There are so many times in our relationships when we step back and say, what's the problem? The problem is not the problem. The problem is we're not willing to acknowledge the pattern. You hearing what I'm saying? We want God to change it. But God only changes it by changing us. There is nothing in our life. I want you to hear this. I, I came all the way here this morning to say this. Nothing, no situation in your or my life will change until we do. Are you hearing me? And so instead, I, the... the, the I've, I've got to, I can't say it the way I, I want to say it. The whining culture amongst Christians is so frustrating because it's always the devil's fault, right? It's always the devil's fault or it's the economy or it's whoever's president. It's always somebody's fault rather than you don't see, we don't see the patterns and so when our patterns create dysfunction for us, we then become intercessors, believing God for a miracle, right? The worst thing God can give us when our patterns have created dysfunction is a miracle. Oh, man. This is the big catchphrase in culture right now, enabler. Don't enable people. When am I helping them versus when am I enabling them? We don't want to enable other people, but we want God to enable us. We want to be able to spend irresponsibly and then go ask God to get us out of it. Are y'all with me this morning? 
We want to we want to ignore all of the red flags before we enter into a relationship because we've already got emotionally involved. And then when we get into that relationship, this happens all the time. When somebody gets into a relationship, they end up getting married, and then they come to me as the man of God telling them it's okay to leave. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It happens all the time. When I want to say, if we could have talked about this before, you made a covenant and a vow to each other, we could have averted this entire disaster. No, but we want what we want, and then if it causes issues, we want God to pull us out of it. Right? We want to go buy a car we cannot afford and then ask God to pay for it. I've I've watched people do this. I have watched people. I've been with people that have driven off car lots where the car was more expensive than their yearly income, and they will say things like, "Jesus is gonna have to help me." What? <laughs> Jesus tried to help you, but this is a pattern, and because of this pattern, you are going to be strapped financially your entire life because you refuse to break the cycle. You refuse to repent. Oh, we want to go to the altar and ask God to deliver us from it. And God is saying, this is how I'm going to deliver you from it. I'm going to break this cycle out of your life forever. I'm going to break the cycle out of your life forever. I'm going to get it out of you. Y'all with me this morning? Come on, y'all with me this morning? I started off by telling you something good. The gospel's got it. Gospel's got help for you today. In life today. And everybody's like, whoo, glory. I'm going to be blessed. Whoo, the head and not the tail. And that is God's will for you. But the way you get there is you obey the patterns and the cycles that God has instituted whether that, rather than our own fleshly desires. You hearing what I'm saying? Hallelujah. <coughs> I was... Uh, I had a lady that worked for me one time and a precious girl, precious. Um, she was getting into her late twenties. She was really getting anxious to get married. And she had a young man that she was dating and, um, it was off and on and off and on and off and on and up and down and off and on and up and down and off and on and up and down. And about every three weeks she'd come into my office crying because she had been devastated once again. And she was all in, and then he would be all in, but then he would back out. And he was, he was actually in his early 30s, and the reality was he was just putting off adulthood. I said a thing right there. Tweet that. Right. And so she would back off and then he would come and repent and she would jump back in and, 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 and she, she's one of those people that would like walk around with her heart out like, hey, would you step on this for me today, please? Would you, could you, could you please wound me today? That would be fantastic. I've not, I've only been wounded three times today and it's already past lunch and I don't want to go home without being wounded another four times. So could you do this? And she's come to me like, what's going on? What's going on? You have a cycle. Yes, sir. So true. And we want breakthrough but breakthroughs come by breakings. 
the breakthrough you, listen to me, the breakthrough you and I are believing God for comes by the breaking of the cycle that we've set up in our life. The financial breakthrough that you want, I promise you, your breakthrough is on the other side of God breaking a cycle that we've operated by for years. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I've got, (laughs) I, I wrote down 10 things that we need to repent of. 10 cycles that we need to repent of. There's no way I'm going to get to all this today, so I'll just give you one. Can I give you one? You're like, you haven't given us one yet? This is a cycle in our lives that we need to forever break. We will be healthier. We will be happier. We'll have peace. We will do things God's way. This is a cycle we need to break in our life. You ready? I ain't giving to you say yes. It's more like it. This is a cycle we need to break. We need to repent for trying to change other people. You and I, me and you, I ain't talking to anybody else. I'm talking about me and you. You and I need to repent for trying to change other people because it stresses us out. We get obsessed with their behavior. It keeps us up at night. We can't eat. We can't sleep. We're losing weight. We're anxious and worried. One Instagram post can freak us all the way out. One thing they put on Facebook and we're depressed for the next four days. Am I talking to anybody? You and I need to quit trying to change other people. Listen to me. Now, the Bible never, 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 never tells us to not attempt to influence people for godliness, for righteousness. He even said that if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, those of you that are spiritual, go try to restore him in the spirit of gentleness. But consider yourself lest you be tempted too. Most of the time, what we do in our relationships with other people is we go far beyond trying to inspire someone to change and try to control people and make them become what we think they should become. I had somebody Instagram me, uh, Instagram, ain't it wonderful? Praise God, thank God for do these question and answer things on Instagram and I can only get to like a quarter of the questions that people send. Then I get wore out. I run out of gas. And uh, somebody sent me this question. Is it okay to pray for a specific person to become your spouse? To which I gave them a one word answer. No. You will not believe. I had a list of people Blowing up my DMs. <laughs> no. <clears throat> Sliding into my DMs. Responding to the fact that I said, no, this is what they said. What do you mean? Why not? What's wrong with it? Asking God to give you a specific person for you to be your spouse. What's wrong with it? Number one, it's called witchcraft. It's called manipulation at its highest form. And we throw the God card on it. And so when we throw the God card on the table, everything gets blurry. And that's what we do with everybody in our life. 
right? You ever not done something somebody wanted you to do and they will come back with tears and say, all I ever wanted was the best for you. The reason I'm doing this is because I care. I can't help it. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Y'all know what I'm saying? And you're like, I'm an adult. I don't need to be told what to do. How many people? I have seen adults try to pick out certain friends for other adults. I don't like you hanging around them. I don't think they're good for you. You're just like, what? At what point? At what point does you, do you feel justified in that control? And God will not allow us to control other people. And so most of the time when we get stressed out in life, it's because we feel control dying. Control always dies kicking and screaming. It never goes silently. You ever notice that? You ever had somebody lash out at you in anger because you weren't doing something they wanted you to do? You know why? Because behind the anger is the control. Now, again, we are responsible to, this is the first one. I've got nine more. They get progressively worse. <laughs> My next one's going to be, I'm not going to teach on it this today. I'll teach on it to next week. My next one's going to be, we need to repent for trying to please everybody. Do you know how much peace will come to your life when you embrace the reality that somebody at every given point in time is going to be at least mildly frustrated with you? And you just got to say, okay. You just got to pick which people you tick off. We'll talk about that next week. You know who I'm not going to tick off number one? Lindsay Doss. Because y'all go home. <clears throat> Quit trying to change other people. Quit trying to get other people to be and do something they do not want to be and do. Right? <laughs> I could say it in another funnier way. When all else fails, lower your expectations. No. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm being facetious. God commands us to attempt to inspire people to change. But whenever you are interacting with somebody, we'll, we'll use marriage for an example. Whenever you are interacting with somebody, the goal is not to get your way. The goal is, I just want to be heard, and then I've got to trust that you're going to take what I said into your own heart and think about it and, 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 and do do your thing, but, but I'm not trying to say, I need you to conform to what I think is best. How many people in our life do we try to fit into the mold that we have for them? Right? A lot of times it happens when we, we want, we want our kids to be in ministry. Oh, you're going to be a preacher. You're going to be a preacher. I asked Annalise the other day, I said, honey, do you want to go into ministry? She's like, no. I was like, that's wonderful. <laughs> what do you want to do? She wants to be some kind of thing. I don't know what it was. She said it. I don't remember it. 
<laughs> it's important to me, though. I'll do everything I can to make it happen for. <coughs> but I was like, honey, that's great. That's great. You don't want to be in ministry. I've, I've, seen, I've, seen, I've been in meetings where preachers have called their kids on stage at 11 years old, and they've asked them in front of everybody. They've asked them. They said, son, are you going to preach the gospel like daddy one day? And the son goes, no. <laughs> I saw this one time, and the dad got angry, laid hands on him. You're going to preach the gospel? Knocked him in the floor. Because right? we're trying to fit people into our boxes, right? You, been, <laughs> you grew up all the time, grandma said, you got a preacher voice. Right? You got a preacher's head. I've heard people say, you got a preacher's head. I don't know what kind of heads preachers got, but you got, you got a preacher's head. Try to fit people into our boxes, right? When I felt called to ministry at 14 years old, I was telling my parents, I feel called to ministry, and they were trying to fit me in another box. No, you need to go to college, and you need to become this, and you need to become that, trying to fit me in their box. How many boxes are we trying to shove people that we love in, right? Trying to fit people in there. And it's causing tension in the relationship. And they're stressed and you can't even talk to each other because there's so much tension and stress and strife and anger because you're not fitting the mold that I have for you. Right. <coughs> and we are convinced that my will for you and God's will for you are the same thing. Right? Of course this is what God wants for you because it's what I want for you. And if I want it, then God has to want it. And so we elevate ourselves to the position of God's best friend because me and God, I've, I've, I've seen people do this, me and God been talking about you. Oh, God, doesn't that feel trying to control, trying to fit. I could really get a little deep. You may go a little deeper. And then we start manipulating it, telling people like, that we've heard from God. Start acting like, well, God gave me a word. God woke me up in the middle of the night about you. It wasn't God at all. You've been obsessing over it, and you can't get it off your mind. And you woke up, and you, then you told everybody it was God. I clap for myself. That's good. Hmm? Try to get everybody to fit into our mold. If you... The, the, the first cycle, Emily, you guys come on up. The first cycle you and I need to break today. You and I need to repent today. You hear me? Yes, you. Me? Yes. No, you me? Yes. And me. We need to repent today forever. We need to interrupt the cycle forever of trying to change other people and fit them into our mold. Because we are not God. And people need to hear that sometimes. You know that? People need to hear sometimes. You are not playing the role of God in my life. Conversely, we need to repent for allowing everybody else to change us and move us off of what we know God's told us to do and who we know God's called us to be. It's, 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 really, it's really interesting when you lead a church because you're, you, have, you have, everybody has an opinion on this, that, or the other. And I don't mind, I want to hear those opinions. Sometimes they are f fantastic ideas and sometimes there's other information that I cannot give that's playing into the decision that we're making Then you just got to go with it. And somebody's always mildly frustrated. Mildly frustrated. 
But you have to stand there and say, man, I love you. But I'm not moving off of this. Because this is what I believe God said to me. And we allow people to fit us into their molds to the point you will wake up 10 years from now and not even recognize yourself because you've become everything everybody else wanted you to become. And you live up to everybody else's label except God's label. And you live up to everybody else's expectation except God's expectation of you. The greatest thing in the world you could do is repent for trying to control others and then repent for being controlled by others. You hearing what I'm saying? We have to break the cycle because it's not giving us what we want. I had a feeling that when I said I'm going to preach on breaking the cycle, everybody's like, oh, we're going to talk about sin. Break the sin cycle. Get the sin out. And we will. We will. I can preach on sin. I've got a library full of sin messages. A library. But the kingdom of God wants to invade our life. You know, this is really interesting. I'm just going to share this thought with you. When I moved here, there's a lot of people I know that were familiar with the ramp, and some people weren't, and, which is fine. But I even had people that don't even live in Knoxville. They would tell me, they'd say, man, you're going to go there, and you're going to plant a church that's going to be just like the ramp. And I was like, no, it's not. First of all, you can't recreate the ramp. You can't. You can't do it. We've tried. <clears throat> not here, but we've tried in other cities. And I said, second of all, I'm not going to see how fast I can grow something. There is a formula for growing fast. And it works. I don't want to see how fast I can grow it. I want to see how healthy I can grow it. If I get us healthy, then we'll grow. But when something unhealthy grows, all it does is multiply the dysfunction. Hearing what I'm saying? That's why I don't want to create a church culture that is contingent upon altar calls and laying on of hands. Oh, we believe in laying on of hands. We believe in altar calls, and we will do altar calls, and we will have laying on of hands. But I, sometimes, sometimes an altar call is not available on Thursday morning or on Wednesday afternoon or on Monday. Sometimes when you and your spouse fight on Friday after lunch, there's nobody to lay hands in counsel. And I need somebody that knows I can break this cycle by the power of the Word of God. We have created churches. Listen, we have created churches for the sole purpose of keeping you codependent on church. To keep you coming back and giving your money. You ever talk to a, you ever talk to a licensed counselor or therapist? They will tell you, you don't give all the information on the first session. You need them coming back for six months, nine months, a year, two years. Keep ringing the bell. Keep depositing the checks. Keep them codependent. Keep them in need. That's not the role of a pastor. That's not the role of a church. The role of a pastor is to grow sheep to the point where they can walk on their own. 
There are cycles in our life that we have to break. How many of you are with me? Say yes. Stand up on your feet. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.